This week we have a very special guest. Uh, you know her from Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, the internet at large, and the Homemade Camera Podcast zine number one. Um, we have Nicole Small from Montreal. Uh, Nicole, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. Thanks for coming hey. on. Um, so in this first segment, we just kind of wanted to get to know you and get our uh, viewers viewers, listeners to get to know you. Uh, who are you? Where are you from? I'm from Montreal, Canada. Um, I started my journey in photography about 2005. Um, and it actually started out from me wanting to shoot my own clothing because I used to design. And I had a small little, um, a small woman's line, a sportswear line. And that's kind of how I really wanted to learn photography. But it shifted quite quickly once I started shooting people with it um, and uh, it just turned into portraiture and portraiture became what I really really love to do um, and throughout that time I assisted quite a bit of photographers and then once I knew and started to understand what I was doing and how I could actually create um, moods and, and, and stories I then just branched out on my own and uh, the journey has led me here, uh, where I am now, 2020. Um, never thought I'd actually be um, a self-portrait artist, but it just happened to turn out that way. And I'm pretty happy where I am right now. Um, I'm, I'm curious about this uh, clothing line. I also had an internet clothing line very briefly, just <laughs> trying to sell anything on the internet I did not know. Uh, anything about it. I was not like a designer. I was just buying and selling junk from uh, <laughs> the internet and I was horrible at it. Um, I assume that if you were doing it with uh, any, any of the passion that you, you go around, uh, go about doing photography with, uh, you were actually making clothes? What, what types of things did you make? Um, it was less women's sportswear. Um, I was very much into the athletics, so um, I wanted to start creating clothes that I would like to wear. And um, it, it it just morphed into starting, you know, to make stuff for myself. And then, of course, people would be like, hey, where'd you get that? Or, you know, where'd you buy that? And I'd be like, oh, I made it. And they'd be like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I made it. And then it just kind of, you know, grew from there. Started off with friends and then friends of friends. And I mean, it didn't really go that wide, but it went uh, wide enough, I guess, for me to kind of um, start to think about how I could actually market it. And then photography fell into my lap. And that's how it started. That's how it started for me. Do you have a background in design education? Did you uh, uh, go to college or, or in high school um, take design classes? No, I didn't. Um, my grandmother used to sew, so I learned a little bit of tricks from her. And um, it was a lot of trial and errors, reading books, YouTube. Um, I just, you know, I'm a very determined person. When I want to learn something, I will... I'll just do it, keep doing it until I get it right. So I, I didn't go to any kind of design school or any lessons, nothing. Uh -huh. I just kind of learned on my own. And, uh, you know, just when you keep doing it and doing it, you get better and better. And it just just started that way. Okay. That's a very 
familiar feeling to me. I often tell people that I went to YouTube University. Uh, so, Nicole, were you, you were actually not only designing but manufacturing clothes as well. Yeah, I was doing the I was doing the samples. I was doing the the patterns. I was doing the cutting. I was doing everything. Um, it's a lot of work. It's a lot yeah. of. Work. But uh, and it it just kind of left me when I when I picked up that camera and started shooting. It just I switched. It was almost instantaneous. I just switched, and discovered you know oh my god I can actually get a mood and a feeling in and you know by shooting a you know a photograph and then I just kind of switched over to wanting to learn about photography. So a photographer who I met during um, this time. I had asked him if he could teach me. Um, his name is Mark Boussier, and we're friends till this day. And um, he said, okay, well, I have a photo shoot coming up. You're welcome to come along. And uh, so I went along, and I just watched what he did. And the next thing, I I worked very hard to get my first camera. My first camera was the Nikon D70s, and uh, <laughs> that was it. You know, and uh, it was another trial because then it was this Photoshop thing, which I didn't know existed. And I didn't know that you had to put your pictures in this software to fix it up, which I needed real badly because uh, <laughs> it was and, uh, exposure and all that stuff. What was it? I just wanted to get this picture and, and it was just not coming out right. And so he taught me a little bit about Photoshop. And I actually started off with PaintShop Pro. That's <laughs> because I didn't I couldn't afford Photoshop. Um, and sure. so I started I started with that. And eventually I bought uh, the CS2. And then, you know, from there, I just kind of uh, I learned Photoshop again through YouTube, through videos, uh, webinars. I mean, a lot of photographers have on their blogs, they would have like tutorials. And that's how I taught myself. And just day in and day out, I would just keep at it, keep at it until I got comfortable with the tools. And then I was able to use it on my own without looking at anything. And uh, that's, again, how it how it started there for me. Um, but I, I, I really don't like Photoshop too much. It takes too much of your free time. <laughs> I'm, uh -huh. very, I'm very anal and very meticulous. So when I'm in Photoshop, I could... Uh, you know, especially when I was shooting in the beginning, I had a lot of fixes to do. So it took me so long to, to, to manage to get a nice and decent photo. So uh, over time, I became really bored. I'm like, this can't be the process of photography. It's it's just, okay, I shoot pictures, then I have to choose the right one. And at that time, I was shooting a thousand photos because I was never sure if this one would be the good one or if that one would be a good one, it was just too much. You know, I spent weekends, you know, just in front of a computer trying to figure it out. And I just didn't like that. So over time, I started to look to see if I can assist other photographers, photographers that were doing something a little bit more interesting. And I so happened to meet a photographer who started, um, who introduced me to film. Um, and this was in 20, I think 2010, uh, 2010 or 2011. Um, I remember going to uh, one of the, the sessions and he had this big clunk of a camera in his hand. And I was like, what the hell is that? Um, at the time, I didn't know, but it was an RZ67. And uh, a reasonably just, sized camera. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and then I was 
like, what's that? He said, oh, it's a film camera. Then he take out, he took out a roll of Ilford FP4. He's put it in the camera. He said, this is how you load it. And he's doing it. And I'm like, what the hell? I, I, you know, I'm like, this, this still exists? I didn't know this was still in existence. And uh, right away, I was like, well, how do I get one of these things? You know, and he's like, well, you know, maybe you should start with a 35 millimeter. I'm like, what's that? So I did my own research and um, eventually went on a classified site, which he had suggested I do. And I mean, people were selling the cameras for like cheap, 60 bucks, 80 bucks, you know. And uh, so I bought a Minolta XD, all black. Um, it came with two lenses for about um, 90, 90 bucks. And uh, that's when I started. And the minute I started, I just never put down a film camera since that day. And that was it. That was it for me. I just made a total switch. Um, I mean, during the time, uh, I would still use my digital camera uh, for clients and stuff, but uh, film just became the, the thing that I loved. And it was um, even more so when I discovered that you could actually process your own film because it became very expensive. <laughs> I would shoot rolls and rolls and rolls and then bring it to the lab, and then it would be like, oh, my God, how much I had got to pay? And then I figured... There's got to be another way. This is just too much. And then again, I started to, you know, I always like to look on YouTube or Flickr or one of those those uh, um, websites. And then I found this guy doing it in his bathroom and then another guy doing it in his kitchen. And I was like, are you kidding me? You can do this. And then that was another thing for me. Then I realized, OK, I'm going to learn this and I'm going to do it. And that's what I did. I just started to shoot my rolls of film and process them. And that's, again, how I started to become um, even more intrigued in this whole film thing. And then uh, printing came into that and um, buying an enlarger, um, then buying cameras, which was uh, something that I got to control myself on because I can get very carried away with that. Yeah, it's no longer cheaper <laughs> than bringing your rolls to the lab, huh? <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, it was crazy. It was like a hundred like bucks or something the first time I went to bring my rolls, and I was like, this, this, this is crazy, you know? And um, so I found a way to make it work for myself, and I discovered all these ways that I can do it um, by myself. And that's how, um, it started from there. Um, my first, a very, very first camera that I did buy was the, um, Mamiya C330 to be, to tell you the truth. And, um, there was no, nobody, I, I just bought it. There was a local guy here who had, who used to have a, um, his own little shop where it was just film cameras and all this different stuff in there. And I just was kind of attracted to the Mamiya C330, and that's what I bought my first, uh, actually my second camera, sorry, um, into um, film photography, but it was my first into 120. And um, again, I was blown away, and I kind of preferred more of the 120 than the 35, just because that that frame is so much more bigger, you know, when you're scanning or when you're printing. And then um, it just morphed. I bought plastic cameras. Everything just started to come into to my hands. At one point, I, I, I mean, I even bought a Zenit camera. Then I ended up selling that. I bought it back again. 
and selling again. Um, yeah, it was a back and forth kind of thing. It was just so exciting. There was all these different things. I just couldn't believe this, this was still here. So anything that I could try, I wanted to give it a try at least once. And that was, and it's still my drive now. You know, if I could at least do something once, I'd like to at least do it one time, you know, whether it's a success or whether it's a failure. Um, and it just keeps going and going and going. So um, I even have a Hasselblad, to tell you the truth, which was bought after the Mamiya C330. But I didn't like the feel of the camera in my hands. And um, a lot of people probably would say I'm weird to say that. but um, For sure. I would say that. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know why it. I, I feel exactly the same way that I oh just, really yeah, I, I, don't, I, I don't care for those it just didn't feel right in my hands mm -hmm. and I used it and I used it and I said okay maybe it's just going to take time I just do not like the feel in my hands and uh it's in my closet collecting dust <laughs> I, I are eventually you still are you still using the c330 then I actually I had put it away for quite a while because I had then bought a Yashica D, which is the mm -hmm. camera that goes with me everywhere. Um, and the reason why I kind of put the Mamiya C330, it's heavy. It's a heavy build. And walking around with my heavy tripod, it was it became a little bit of a nuisance. I mean, I, I trek a lot, so I go up mountains, up hills and everything, and I found it very, very heavy. So at one point, I'm, I was like, I wonder if they have cameras like this, but smaller. And it just so happened that um, I just came into the using the Yashica D. Again, I, I bought it for like $80 off of a classified site. And uh, it's just my my go-to camera. It's my go-to camera. That's a steal. <laughs> I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you. But at the time, I remember when I bought it, he was like, I don't even think these things, you know, work. And I don't even think you can even get the film for it anymore. And I'm like, yeah, maybe not. I was just playing stupid. <laughs> I didn't want him to raise the price or anything, you know. So uh, yeah. I bought that. And then that just became my, my, my camera that everywhere I go, that camera is with me. It's so lightweight. It's, it's you know, it's just the best thing to, to just take with me anywhere you know yeah I, I feel the yeah. same way those are those are really effective cameras for the weight and uh, I, I know a guy from the northwest i'm i'm old enough so that i grew up with film uh but <laughs> he 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 photographed all the mountains around here for guidebooks uh okay. so pretty extreme uh, mountain climbing in the cascade range uh, and he took the Ro a roloflex everywhere and did all his photography with that and uh, this was you know steep climbing and, and really difficult uh, terrain. And that just was the perfect camera for that, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I started actually using it with a, um, a light stand instead of my, my heavy tripod. It's just that small and, and, and that I was able to just put it on a light stand and use it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And I had a uh, Mamiya C220 for a while. And while it took nice pictures, I probably put my finger through the bellows two or three times and I, I can't have bellows cameras go around with me that's that's not a thing <laughs> that's why I can't have nice things I, I started going back to using it though um see the one thing about the Yashica D you can't very get very close you I think your minimum distance is about three feet or so and 
I mean, if you, you know, my style, I like to get real tight to my subjects. So then I started to look back at the C330 and, um, and then I started to say, you know, I think I'm going to, going to start trekking with this because I'm going to have to get used to it. And, uh, because the visions and the ideas I have in my head, I, 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 it would be better for me than the Yashika D. So I'm, I've kind of gotten back into using the Mamiya C330. But the Ashika D is still my ultimate number one favorite. <laughs> so what led you from... Oh, go ahead. Question, same question I was going to ask. And so when yeah. did all this degenerate into making your own cameras? <laughs> okay. I Originally, when I started pinhole photography, I didn't like it. I bought a Diana camera, and I didn't like it. Um, I brought it back. I think two days later and then um, for some odd reason just look, started looking into it again and maybe a year later or something like that again just trying to find something different a little different than what I was you know doing and learning and then I bought um, a box camera just a plain box camera off of B&H and a 4x5 and uh, I started working with that and as I started to go along with Working with that camera, I wanted it bigger. I started looking into uh, different options, and I said, you know, I, I think I'm just going to make a five by seven, and and I made the five by seven, and that's yeah, but why stop there? <laughs> you know, I made the five by seven, so I made a wide angle, and then I made a more telephoto five by seven. It just, I think once you start, it you know, it's like a drug, because you then you start to think. Well, you know, I built this, but what else can I do that, you know, or what else can I, I mean, I built an 8x10 that also works uh, like a pinhole. Again, uh, making one versus trying to buy one, there's a big difference in price, right? Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it costs way more to design a camera than to just go out and buy one. <laughs> but I can't help myself. You know, uh, yeah. and, even now, I still have ideas of what I want to build. It just doesn't stop, you know, just the options and just the way that the camera works itself. It's limitless. And uh, whatever idea that comes in my head, I if it's about building a camera, I'll build one. And that's it, you know. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's, the, that's the same thing that drives me and collecting them, too. Even though I grew up in the 70s uh, with all sorts of film cameras in every direction, I couldn't afford any of them. I used the same yeah. exact camera for 25 years because mm -hmm. you know, in those days you bought one camera and that was it like <laughs> you're, you're, you were out of funds and and you had a camera so why would you need to you know but what I'm doing now is reliving like this this amazing fantasy existence as if I was a millionaire because there are so many old cameras around and as you say you can make the ones you can't afford and that's really yeah. what I'm too. Mm -hmm. but then once you get into it of course then it's a thing of its of its own yeah yeah yeah. Hey. Ways to take a picture. So. so I'd like to take it back. Uh, we're going to go way down the camera rabbit hole, but uh, <laughs> as I've as I've been uh, disrailing, derailing this podcast for a while, Nicole, what other things do you like to build? I assume. I mean, I know that you made clothing, but I assume that you are the type of autodidact that likes to build a lot of things. Have you always been a tinkerer? Have you always made things? Um, 
you know, no. I mean, my father was a handyman, and maybe that could be part of it. <laughs> um, you know, I used to always be around when he would build stuff and and everything, but it never really, um, I never really started using that until I, I, you know, met up with photography. I, I don't, I don't really, I don't think so. <laughs> it's kind of hard to say. Yeah, although um, I think making clothing is w- one of the more challenging uh, crafts and, you know, except for learning new tools, if you can make clothing, you can make just about anything. Yeah. Hey, have you ever tried to build a, your own camera bag? That was one of my only sewing projects oh, of all time. No, I, that's a good idea. But no, I haven't. Hmm, that's a it good was idea. not a good idea for me. I spent about $200 on materials and a week worth of time. I made this camera bag. I still have it. But then I realized for $75, I could buy like a 10 buck <laughs> bag that was way better than the one that I wanted. Oh, that's a good idea. I never thought of that, actually. Hmm. Oh, yeah. I think you. I think there's uh, there's something to be said for uh, using fabric to build really big cameras that fold down really small. That's yeah. something I've been thinking about. <laughs> Not a camera bag, but a bag camera. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, okay. Um, That is a little bit surprising to me, but um, certainly you've built plenty of cameras to keep us entertained for a good few hours. So let's let's get back to to camera building. Um, You have made a bunch of pinholes, a bunch of lensed cameras. Kind of... Where did it go from your uh, your five by seven camera? Uh, I know you're up to eight by ten now. I assume you'll be at twenty by twenty four by this time next year. Probably. <laughs> but what are uh, what are some of your like uh, most and least favorite cameras that you built? Um, well, the least favorite was the first one I ever built. It was like a circular a circular box, like gift box. Um, that was the least favorite, only because I had to cut the paper in a circle, circle, and I would never be able to cut it nice enough to fit inside the box. So that was the worst one. Um, I think the best one is probably the eight by ten. The the one from your most recent video. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm a big fan of that. I yeah. was watching that again this morning, but yeah, we. <laughs> Talk about that one in a minute. I guess save that. Um, okay, so so here's a question: Do you build cameras because you want to make a certain type of camera that you don't have and try it out, or do you have like more of a I want to do this project, or I know you know we're going to talk about alternative processes, something that we're both pretty pretty down that rabbit hole right now. Um, are you building cameras for projects or processes or just for the cameras themselves? What what usually is sort of the uh, Well, actually, one thing that I, um, you know, to, to getting into the 8x10, it really started off with the cyanotype um, process, which I wanted to do in-camera cyanotypes. That's kind of how it started where I was thinking of 8x10. I just don't see cyanotypes smaller than that, but that's that's personally for me. And um, so I started to look into building one that I could use for in-camera cyanotypes. Um, but the story really starts off with uh, discovering a particular um, process called cyanotype rex. 
And from the cyanotype wrecks, it just um, just brought me to so many different other processes. And um, I've read a lot of the old books, like really old books. And um, what I was trying to find was a formula that would have a very high sensitivity because the regular cyanotype uh, chemistry, it's, it's, it would take way too long. And um, so anyways, I built that, that camera initially for that. But as I was building it, then my mind started to say, hey, paper negatives. And also, too, there was a little bit of um, inspiration from the paper reversal process, which um, I was inspired by uh, Don Frula. I think you know him, uh, Ethan. I don't know. If yeah, me too. I don't know him personally, yeah. but I know him on the Internet. That's what started me. <laughs> and um, also Joe Van Cleve as well, um, and uh, you too. You, you're one of the, the ones that I, I followed as well with that process. But I saw the process much bigger than a 4x5, which also influenced me to make that 8x10 camera. So initially I made the 8x10, and I had a magnifying glass on, the, on there alone. And then I had uh, built a, um, well built I guess you can say just made like a f11 sized hole that I placed over it so if I wanted to use the cyanotype process I would use it without um, the aperture that I made at f11 and then when I would use paper negatives then I would put that over on top but I thought it was just too confusing so I ended up uh, which I don't think I showed anywhere yet but I ended up building a second 8 by 10 one specifically for the cyanotype and then one specifically for paper negatives and just kind of left them separate and it just kind of um you know i i don't know I, my brain just doesn't stop i just think of one thing and it just dives into something else and that's kind of how the 8x10 build came around um the 4x5s um especially the latest one i've done which was the multi pinhole um that I specifically did it for Worldwide Pinhole Day. I started off with only thinking of doing three holes. And then as I started to build it, I said, you know what? I'm going to do six. And then <laughs> I said, you know what? I'm going to do nine. And then it ended up being nine. Nine is actually my favorite number. So I said, you know what? I'm going to do nine holes. So it just ended up, um, I ended up making it just in time as well. So um, it's very tricky because um, making the pinholes, it, I was that's probably was the, the thing that had me the most nervous because I was so scared that I would punch the holes too big or that the holes would be all different aperture sizes. So um, I said, okay, I'm gonna take a needle, a sewing needle and use that as to make my hole. At first I made the holes, I did my first test, the holes weren't big enough. So I had to go back and readjust the holes, and then I managed to make the holes pretty much even. Because how I tested it, I opened the holes all at the same time. And I just wanted to see how the gradient of the tones would fall. And after I processed that, I looked and I said, okay, it seems to be right. Um, it seems to be even all across the board. Can I can I ask you something about this camera? Um, first of all, I want to send some people to where they can see it. And I'm sorry to interrupt you, but um, this is at Nicole Small Journal Entries 
wordpress.com slash camera hyphen builds. Now that's a long address, but it will be in the the show show notes. Yeah. yeah. I already have it. I already have it linked for the show notes, but um, I I want to describe this box if I can, for just a second. It looks like it's made out of foam core. Am I right? Yes, Um, you're right. Okay. So it's, it's made out of foam core. It has um, a four by five holder at the back that's yep. held on by Velcro. I love that idea. I love the Velcro. Um, and then it has nine holes in a grid on the front. Now, my question is, is this nine separate images? Are there dividers in there? Or is this a blender image where all nine holes will all fall on that same um, single sheet of paper and they'll overlap and do all that type of thing. Uh, what I used to to actually um, organize the way the holes are is um, I went to the dollar store and I bought um, there, you know, for those ice trays, ice cube trays. Okay, it's, sure. It's an ice cube tray that has, but it was round, it was circular. They had square and they had circular ones. And I thought, you know what, let's be try and do something a little different. So I took the circular ones. So at the bottom there, it's like a rubber that I was able to cut uh-huh. off. And so there's a little bit of a, um, of a it's almost a little tubular, tubular um, in this in, in, for each circle. So I was able to kind of separate each hole. Um, okay. But I also... T- actually created some it longer by just taking some uh, cardboard paper uh, sorry uh, construction paper making a circle sticking it inside to make them longer to separate them even more (laughs) so um, that I have to work on though because um, I mean it was really shoddy done it was done very quickly I mean they weren't perfectly round and um, some of them weren't the same length but I was trying to get (laughs) something you know so this Uh, is this is on your Instagram. You have a, a self-portrait it, with this camera. Am I right uh, for Pinhole Day, Worldwide Pinhole Day 2020? Is that the one that's on yes. your Instagram? Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay. So it's kind of semi-blender and semi-distinct. Okay. Okay. I'm I'm really digging this. Okay. This is so... For our listeners, this is last week, and for Graham and Nick and I, it's last week. For you, it'll come out next week uh, before this episode. But uh, we were, were, Graham, like, what did we talk for, like, an hour last week about ice cube tray photos? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ice cube tray camera photos, yeah. This is really super cool. Um, and and this is this is different from what I would uh, had envisioned, and it it blends in a way that um, is very distinct from blender cams and very distinct from um, uh, what they ca- used to call postage stamp cameras, where each one of those nine holes would have a distinct image, and essentially it's a it's a camera to reproduce. Um, a single image nine times or 24 times or how many ever little uh, whole holes and channels they have. And uh, yeah. And this is interesting. This I mean, this thing looks like a kaleidoscope to me, like a really right. sort of soft blended, beautiful kaleidoscope. I'm, I'm really into it. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I probably would change is 
probably the center hole, I would probably make it smaller than the rest of them. Only because I find that because of the, well, because it's circular and they, it overlaps, you start to lose in the center. Like it starts to lose a little bit more than I would like to. Like the contrast kind of dies out a little bit. That's maybe something that I would probably try and see how, um, how that would look if it would kind of maintain a little bit more of the contrast in the center. Um, I probably would make the center hole a little bit smaller than the rest of the holes. Because that's the main image. So okay. if, I have, uh, if I do the center image, say alone, for example, and then maybe I want to open the other uh, holes after, the exposure is still going in the center because it just overlaps into it. So I probably right. the center a little smaller. Uh, that would be uh, something that I would do. Of course, I didn't have the time to do it, but um, uh-huh. that's something I would correct. Yeah. Hey, I would like to make a technical suggestion. Um, sure. I think uh, maybe a lot of photographers don't know about this, but a lot of electronics people do is PCB drill bits. I've been I've been preaching from the church of PCB micro drills uh, for quite some time. Um, they sell them for drilling like vias and through holes in in circuit boards, um, but Amazon will sell you know packs of ten of one size or ten in multiple sizes, and they allow you to drill like really precise diameter tiny holes in soda cans which i wind up spending a lot of my life doing um <laughs> and if you're trying to get like an uh, a ratio between pinholes i've you know my hands are too shaky to do it with a pin uh you can get a round hole right uh, but, but yeah ch- check out pcb micro drills on amazon oh i will and um you, you want to start off with uh they come in sets and they usually start with three tenths of a millimeter and you really want the smaller sets that start at um, one-tenth of a millimeter or uh, 0.15. Um, and that that will give you a good range uh, going up to, you know, an 8 by 10. Um, but it, for smaller smaller objects, you want to start at uh, 0.15. But they're, they're out there, and we're talking $10, which is what? Uh, that's $1,000 Canadian or something like that, but $10. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, they, they work really well. And one of the things about that is then you can start getting uniform, and you can start doing the exact, you know, like you can do those outer holes uh, 0.25 and the inner hole 0.15 or something yeah. like that. And, yeah. and you can really get uh, good technical, uh, ability on that. But, um, so, um, uh, I'm sorry to, to derail you on this. You, you, uh, oh, you, I think that you finished the, the idea of making that, um, that center pinhole smaller. Yeah. Um, but, um, well, I have a to, okay, go ahead. Nick. Yeah. I'm curious about how you, uh, it sounds like you open different uh, different lenses or different pinholes in a sequence sometimes. How do you set, control them separately? Uh, what's the uh, shutter I, method? I just had tape. <laughs> it was just tape. So tape I, over each one, and then you just open the ones you want. Yeah. Yeah. But I find that the nine holes for the 4x5 might be a little too much. Um, maybe if, if it was... Uh, uh, Maybe maybe a five by seven or even eight by ten with the the nine holes. I just found it was a little too much, at least for me when I was trying to do different um, see different positions. 
Um, I found it was just too cluttery. Like you couldn't really see too much. It was just too many holes. I don't know if that makes any sense, but yeah, yeah. I can, love that you that your solution five to, hole system. Yeah, I love that your solution to nine holes being too much is not less holes. It's bigger, bigger film. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Like a real photographic megalomania. I by ten soon, guys. <laughs> awesome! I can't I wait. I think it makes sense though. You get a lot of combinations with more holes and. Yeah, so it can be too much, you know. The downside and, is you're going to need a bigger ice cube tray. That's it. <laughs> that's it. And probably the holes will obviously be more further apart, which will probably give more room for you to see more of the, the complete circles of each. Uh, I, I, I would. Uh-huh. So it could be interesting, you know, it could be interesting. But I know. I, mm-hmm. Oh, I was just going to say on an eight by ten. You could do um, uh, toilet paper tubes or or paper towel tubes. Yeah, um, exactly. Because I think that you would have enough room within that 8x10 to make those, uh, I guess, light channels is what they are. They're light channels. Exactly. Ah, cool. Yeah. There is, I mean, I I, I was trying to, um, like, I added a tube in the center, and I was trying to get my face in that hole but it was so hard to do <laughs> i just couldn't do it i was either like too high or too low so you know but uh again it just goes with practice and everything you know so i i hope eventually i'll be able to get that right um i don't know on my instagram there's uh the one that i think there's one with you see my hands on the bottom of my my face that's the one I yes yeah so that was a little hard to do but I think it's interesting, you know, something I different. You, I wonder if you could like somehow attach a laser pointer to the thing and then have a mirror behind it so you could see, you know, if the dot was on your nose, then you you would be in the right place. Do not point a laser at your eyes. <laughs> at, yes. Safety third. Yeah. What are you telling and me? You... <laughs> nose, nose. Yeah, well, yeah, I, I mean... You... Your nose is dangerously close to your eyes. <laughs> Speak for yourself, Ethan. <laughs> okay. Um, and a little bit further down uh, Nicole's Instagram, you get um, the the supplies. And so you can see the uh, ice cube tray um, and uh, the the duct tape and the um, uh, and the foam board and all that type of stuff. Um, so, uh, so you can get a better idea of what we're talking about with the round ice cube trays. Um, now I see that this, you know, yours is a, okay. It's a, it's a four by five, um, film holder. The ice cube tray is actually 12 holes. Um, and it's a four by three grid, but you only use the, uh, three by three grid. Um, but doesn't that four by three grid better uh fit the four by five size so i'm gonna just i'm just sending you back to the drawing board make another one please for the <laughs> world <laughs> make another one so yeah say that again yeah just make another it one? yeah just make Bigger? another yeah yeah okay. yeah <laughs> absolutely absolutely so, uh, so yeah. So, I mean, this, this kind of fits, um, I have the, um, 
uh, what I'm calling the the uh, COVID camera challenge, which is to build these build a camera out of stuff that you have at home. And I think that you said that you went out and bought the ice cube tray, but it looks like everything else is pretty standard household stuff. Um, so this would work for that um, that COVID camera challenge, where you know you're stuck at home. One of the things that I thought was really exciting about that uh, nine-hole pinhole was the idea that uh, we've got the the blurring and overlapping images. Um, it's a pinhole. You're moving a little bit. You're mostly still on that one, that, that self-portrait. You're mostly still, but there's still a blurring of the image. Um, what is it? Uh, and I find actually in a lot of your work, uh, I see a lot of that um, where there's movement in the figure, there's movement in um, uh, the model. Um, and what is it about that that attracts your eye? Why is that an image that you want to create versus taking this eight by 10 and an, and putting an eight by 10 lens and using eight by 10 film to get that super crisp, you know, see every pore kind of image? Well, I have that. So why not have, make something that's, or, or, or work in a way that, that you can have the opposite of that. I mean, I have a four by five um, camera, which can give mm -hmm. me the sharpness. Um, and why not, you know, why not play with it in the other direction where there's, there's blur, where there's movement. And I, I, I just, I don't know why, but I'm just so attracted to it because I find it just, it, you can kind of like have something hidden within that movement, which is what I really like. And I just don't know, but I guess because uh -huh. I have the one side of it, I just like to play with the other side of it too. And um, I don't know, I just, it's just what I love to do. <laughs> it's just, okay. it's something that I really enjoy. Okay. So one of the things I also noticed is, uh, like, for instance, you have three pictures of a lake shore um, and, yeah, on your Instagram. We're, we're back on the Instagram feed. Okay. And it looks to me like there's a little bit of vertical drag, maybe from stand development. Um, there are some vertical lines on these photographs that, once again, take it uh, – I mean, they look like they're – um, they're shot at a, you know, a fairly fast shutter speed. They're waves. We can see the, the, I mean, they're not blurred waves or anything like that. Is there, was there something about these that you, um, you worked on? This is, uh, I think it says it's XP2. It's expired yeah. Yeah. XP2. That's, that's the one thing. It's the XP2 film, which I did in black and white chemistry. And this oh. is that I've noticed that happens um, when you do do it in black and white chemistry, um, you, you, sometimes there's like streaks in it. I don't know if it's if it's just right. the way that I process it or whatever, but um, I love the contrast of that film. And um, 
you know, when I started using XP2 at the time when I bought the film, I didn't know it was to be processed in C41. Okay. So uh, my initial role, I processed it in black and white. Of course, I did my research. I'm like, oh, my God, I didn't know this was C41. Does, has anybody been doing it in black and white chemistry? So I went online and I just, you know, ended up falling on to some forums where people were talking about it. So then I just kind of gave a shot with it and I had a, um, a portrait session and I ended up doing it in black and white and it came out really, really nice. I was like, oh, my God, this is this is this. Is, I love it. And um, this is kind of the way that I've continually have processed XP2 uh, film with black and white chemistry. Um, it's still tinkering it with a little bit in regards to time, because now they're saying 12 minutes, of course, depending on what developer you're using. But I think 12 minutes is too long. I think there will have to be consideration of your scene um, when uh-huh. you're going to process uh, the film in a black and white chemistry. So um, I'm still tinkering with that, but I do love the contrast and the look of this film. I really, really do. Yeah. yeah one of the things. Oh, go ahead. It looks great. I, I really like it a lot. And I have a. Can I ask a question in the middle of all this? Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> absolutely. So what I see in a lot of your work is what I think of in artwork in general as being uh, very poetic. So, if for instance, if you took a a very standard, as you do, you have plenty of examples here of of uh, traditional, very clear photographic portraits, probably for clients i don't know but uh they're great they're wonderful they emphasize the appearance of a person as soon as you start to make your multi pinhole images and let some of this uh blurring and, and atmospheric effects come into the photograph to me it makes it makes it possible to go in more directions so one of these self portraits with you took with your multi pinhole it it makes me think of uh, like a flower bed. And, you know, yes, it's a picture of people's faces or your faces repeated, uh, but it also takes me in a whole bunch of other directions and it reminds me of other things and makes other connections. And that's what I think of poetry as doing is, oh, is it, you know, bridge, bridges different worlds in, instead of just telling you the one story. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thank you yeah, they're, they're beautiful, beautiful images. So when you, you um, <laughs> um, when there is uh, uh, you're you're doing a lot of uh, of portraits. It looks to me like a with a four by five, um, or I mean, uh, or at least it's looking uh, medium format, where we're getting a lot of detail. Um, and then uh, I I noticed that there. There is a portrait uh, on your Instagram of a woman that where it is multiple exposures. I'm looking it looks maybe it's just a double exposure um, and it's listed. Let me see. It, oh, it says Mamiya C330 uh, and then it gives the year of 2013 um, is um, were these in camera multiple exposures or these um after the fact multiple exposures either with photoshop or stacked images um uh stacked negatives um go ahead 
No, this is this is in camera. This is this in, in camera. camera. Yeah. One thing oh, okay. I'm very very anal about is I always like to try to do everything in camera. I do not like to go into Photoshop if I can avoid it at any cost. Uh-huh. That's what I'll do. So if it's going to take me 10 minutes just to really structure myself to get that image, that's the time I'm going to take to do it. I really really like to get it in camera. That's that's okay. the way my uh, my mind works. <laughs> life on Absolutely. the edge. <laughs> it's also it's admirable, and I I think that it's a useful way to work. But I, what happens to me? I'm actually pretty clumsy in Photoshop, so I often lower the quality of my photo when I'm struggling in the software. <laughs> and so in some ways, it's sort of like a, my my version of pinhole photography is you know bad Photoshop. <laughs> Do you do any uh, darkroom work? Uh, do you have a uh, an enlarger and uh, that type of thing? I have an I have two enlargers actually, um, and mm-hmm. it's a pity because my bathroom is so small, um, mm-hmm. and uh, the ventilation is very bad in there. So that's one reason why I noticed I your respirator <laughs> in your last <laughs> my uh, video or two. <laughs> Um, and that's the problem that I have, um, which kind of, you know, I don't feel inspired so much to go into the darkroom, although I really would love to get into uh, printing more. Um, I did do a few prints in the very beginning, um, but then it just became a little, it, it's just like, I'm like, oh man, all of the setup that I have to do, and it's it's just kind of demotivating, um, but I have sure. to- to a place to um, get a darkroom space. I have been looking into that, but now with this thing that's going on, I don't know what's going to happen anymore, but um, I was looking right. for space for just to have it for darkroom work. Um, and uh, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with that, but I I try to push myself to do it, but it's just, oh, man. <laughs> you know, just, it's sort of, yeah. nice. I mean, to me, darkroom work, it, it, it is. That's what Photoshop is. It's like all yes. this extra homework that's getting between your you know time when you're when you have your vision and when you actually end up with your with your final image and it takes up a lot of time and energy um, in the same way. It is certainly a much slower pace um, oh. than Photoshop and and it does require a much larger commitment of time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if and you're saying you're doing it in your bathroom, that's exactly the way I do it. In fact, um, my enlarger lives out in a shed uh, and I have to haul that in. Then I have to black out the windows and then I have to set up the trays and I have to do all of that. And mm-hmm. and I have figured that it is an hour of setup and an hour of teardown. Mm-hmm. So that's two hours before I can even choose a negative. Um, so, uh, I'm, uh, I have plans, uh, I'm going to have some time off, uh, in a couple of weeks and, uh, I have plans to, uh, to set up my darkroom and leave it set up. I I have multiple bathrooms in my house, so I can at least use other bathrooms. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and leave it set up so that I can do that. Uh, I can get deeper in, um, 
I have not talked to my wife about that yet, but you know, we'll, we'll see how that goes. But um, but I do understand um, uh, the 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 idea of um, of having the desire to get in there, but also, oh my God, that's a lot of work. Yeah, so, I have to prep uh, myself mentally like a few days before and say, okay, well, yes. pre-prep this, pre-prep prep that, and then I can say, okay, the day now I'm ready to go. If I don't pre-prep I know that I'm not going to go in there. So that's, you know, it's like a yeah. two day thing, <laughs> even before you start. Yes. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I, I, I'm totally with you. And if you think about that, that it's that two, day, two or three day thing, even if for the people who have a darkroom set up, you know, they've got to go out and get their chemistry out and do all that type of stuff and, and you know, have time to clean it and 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 do all those t- types of things. And you know, we talk a lot in the analog film world about how oh, analog's better, but oh, those digital tools that we also use are pretty good. you do a lot of alternate process work and we've spoken before about this reversal process and I've been really excited to see you know where a lot of people particularly you have sort of taken this reversal process and and uh, you know uh, what what you've made with it um, I want to ask you about that but first you mentioned something earlier which I've never done maybe I did it once as like a little kid in like a in school, which is cyanotypes, and then you mentioned cyanotype rex, which I've never heard of. Uh, it sounds like a dinosaur, which is up my alley. Um, so, how did you get into cyanotypes? What about it is is interesting to you? And what's cyanotype rex, and how do they differ? Um, again, uh, when I started shooting film, I mean, you know, it, it opens so much doors to the many different things that people used to do and still do. And I just came across the cyanotype. I don't really remember where I saw it or how I came about, but it just ended up uh, falling into my lap on a search. And then I was like, oh, this looks quite interesting. And then I just kind of said, you know, I think I'd like to give it a shot. So got the chemicals and everything, and I just tried playing around with it. And I really, really... um, I love the process. It's a very simple process. It's very easy. Um, I don't have to be um, locked in the dark so much, <laughs> so which is kind of you know a, a difference from the struggle that I had with uh, uh, printing. And um, then over time, um, it became a goal of mine. Every summer, I would take the time to create a series of cyanotypes. Last year was the first year that I didn't. And I only realized near the end of summer that I said, you know, I didn't do any cyanotypes this year. And, you know, I started to think about it and said, you know, I got to do something next year. I'm not going to miss another year. And I just started to think, you know, I wonder if you could do cyanotypes in camera. And that's how this cyanotype Rex came about, because when I would... um, search um, in camera cyanotypes, cyanotype Rex kept popping up. So I was like, what is this cyanotype Rex thing? Anyways, it was a, um, 
I guess you can call him uh, um, a, a photographer. He's no longer here today. His name is Terry King. And he invented this uh, so-called process cyanotype rex, which was to, um, it's a process that you can do in camera um, where the speed of the emulsion itself is, uh, works out much faster than, you know, the average um, formula that you can buy um, today. And um, over time, I just started to, you know, search cyanotype rex, cyanotype rex. So that's really what it is. It's just like to be able to do it in camera. But it was really tricky because going on a lot of these forums, you know, although there's a wealth of information, you can really get confused at the same time because you have one person saying this and then one person saying that. And it seemed to me that the Rex process was actually kind of a hush-hush thing. Nobody really wanted to, um, um, you know, share the actual full process. Um, even Terry King himself, who had invented this process, um, he was very hush-hush about his, his um, process. So, you know, over time, I just fell into um, these old books on alternative processes, uh, which you can find on Google Books. And then I started to read about um, the older versions of the cyanotype um, um, formulas and trying to see, okay, well, which would give me the most sensitivity? And then I fell into the pellets process, which is another process that um, is actually where I'm at with the cyanotype process. And it's um, instead of white on blue, it's blue on white, and it's a positive image so okay. if i was to shine uh you know so hoping that this is will work thinking that if i create this camera and then say for example i would do a self-portrait it would come out as a positive so that's kind of where i'm at with the cyanotype process but um again there's so much information it's incredible and there's so many ways of doing it there's so many techniques it's 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 just crazy so i kind of had to balance myself out by taking one book and I'm going to be reading through one book. And then if that doesn't work out, then I'll go to the next one. So that's kind of <laughs> how it started, you know? So um, we'll get there when we talk about the um, reversal process that, that we've been working on. But, you know, when I got interested in it, I saw some videos uh, from Joe Van Cleve before we were friends and Don Frula um, and I, I think you and I have watched the same videos probably a hundred times. And and it was so like, I mean, Don Frula is clearly a genius, but he is also not like a large YouTuber. Once in a while, he'll put like a, you yeah. know, explanatory video up and I will pester him in the comments for more information. And then um, I found on like Fotrio, which is like an old APUG thread, these guys have been working for like five years on that reversal process. And I like... I tried it. I had terrible results. And then I sat down and I read every post. It took me three hours. I read five years worth of posts back and forth of these people testing it. And then I made this YouTube video and it went from like 12 people in the world who knew about it to a few thousand, you know, and, and I think I was the first to like actually just keep the YouTube video concise and, and try and be as, um, you know, uh, clear, if not an interesting YouTube video about it. And, and like that kind of, I think 
blew it up, right? Like Matt Marash is doing it. You're doing it. Like um, a lot of you, you can't stay hush hush or like um, you bury things in internet forums when when somebody puts it on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And so maybe uh, I would love to see make a, a YouTube video about the Santa type Rex process. I think that would that would get me off the couch for sure. The only problem is that this weather sucks, man. There's no sun. <laughs> I'm telling you. You know, when we were talking about YouTube, I was I was actually watching some of your uh, your YouTube videos this morning um, again and showing them to my girlfriend. And I was saying that you're always in like the dreariest forest. And I want to say like Nicole, just move to the southwest or or somewhere. It's, it's it looks so. I mean, I grew up you know, not super far from you, but, um, oh man, the, the long, like in between nice winter and good weather again is, oh, (laughs) yeah, I don't like mud season. I feel like you need to take some vacations. (laughs) I don't know. I, it makes me nostalgic. I haven't lived back there in, in decades and I like seeing the those woods i grew up in them and there is a mood there you know it's pain in the ass not to have enough light especially with alternative process but but there's there's i i like that i like the murky murky stuff yeah i mean they're good photos but i mean springtime is also nice (laughs) yeah you're right and we've we have this unnaturally sunny spring happening now in the northwest due to climate change and it's actually pretty fun to see the sun early Okay, so so besides me, um, you know, uh, being crotchety about the weather in the Northeast, Nicole, you shoot so much stuff indoors, right? I, I have seen, um, I, I was remarking this morning on the fact that you have like hundreds of dollars worth of video or uh, studio lights uh, set up to shoot with cardboard boxes, uh, which I absolutely love. Um how about how about a indoor cyanotype video, or is it just not it's not fast enough? Oh, it's what? not it's not fast enough. It it's just would take way too. I mean, it's in the way that I would like to do it, it would just take way too long. But you, you know, my my goal is to try to like from reading these books. I hope I would find some formula that's really really sensitive that it could it could work. But um, I I have to try them out see you know and uh, there's quite a bit out there to try so, my formula for uh, the reversal process slowness was to buy 20,000 watt seconds worth of speedotron lights <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. so that, that, I have a question uh, I, I've been toying with the idea but not getting out around to it in, in our long dark winters of taking lights out into the woods is that something you've tried at all no I, I never have it's too cold that's true. That's true. Yeah. Maybe cold. you can get some old hot lights and, you know, melt a hole I, in the snow for yourself. I mean, you, you know, and it, and I do have hot lights. I mean, that's how I started with pinhole photography was with hot lights. Um, you know, in the very, very beginning, that's all the lights that I had that were constant. And um, it was also in the winter months. So that's the only reason why I really ended up doing it inside is because it was winter. And, right. um, I, I, you know, I wouldn't advise anyone to do it because it's it's just I mean, I would get burns. I mean, they were they had to be literally a foot to a foot and a half away from me to get out. 
certain amount of time. Yeah, yeah. But you know, when you're determined and you're focused to do something, you don't care, right? So you do it. <laughs> but um, over time, I ended up getting some lead lights because it, it, it was it's just becoming too much. You know, it's just really, really. Sometimes Writing. I think. I'm like, how did I do that? You know. <laughs> yeah, and that, and they, and they don't burn so much power, which I guess you'd have to drag a generator out in the woods too if you were gonna yeah. use a lot of light. <laughs> but at the mm. same time, I prefer the look that I get with the hot lights versus the lead lights. Mm. I, I hands down, it's, it's you get a completely different look. Um, I don't even know if I can really explain it, but. Just, just love the way the hot lights just render with the paper and the Nicole, lights. Nicole, do you do you mean like um, uh, tonally or like I I really love how consistent your images are in that they're almost all blurred but just like super slightly right like like for effect and they're blurred the same amount and it's consistent kind of through your work that I've been watching for more than a year now. Um, is it is it the speed of the hot lights or the the uh, sort of tones that are picked up on the paper that uh, appeals to you? The, the tones on the paper, uh, there's a lot more contrast with the hot lights. I get with the hot lights than I do with the LEDs. Um, even with working with film, you get a completely different, I don't know, I guess from doing it so so much, I just I just see it. It's just very different, you know? It's just... Well, so uh, even I, with black and white, uh, you're going to get a different part of the spectrum yeah change I guess it's almost to say you know working with natural light versus versus working with uh, flash with film I guess maybe it's something like that you know like it, it, the sun just I don't know working with the sun just to me has much more of a nicer I don't know I don't know, I don't know if you get that <laughs> no, no, you're right, right. I think you're right. <laughs> yeah but never again. Never again the hot lights. No way, Jose. <laughs> <laughs> Too hot. Too hot. Hmm. Okay, so um, I guess um, I am really looking forward to Cyanotype Rex when you can go outside and it's summertime in another, like, 35 months in Montreal. <laughs> yes. um, Give me hope, please. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Uh, and but you have been making a bunch of uh, reversal process videos. I saw you did one with Iron Out. You did one which I thought was crazy with like dichromate bleach, and you were wearing a respirator around your neck. It <laughs> seemed like uh, one badass and two I I <laughs> would not want to do. Um, do you have any um, reversal process um, projects that you're thinking about doing in the near-ish future? And um, Kind of, I guess, beyond that, which version of the reversal process, um, I guess the, the black and white one we can talk about first, which, which version um, have you found to be the most uh, successful or, or interesting or fun to you? Um, the potassium dichromate actually is, seems to be the best for me, um, although it's the most more, more yeah. talk. Um, that, I find, works... Um, very, again, that's Don Fula. He's the one that really yeah. helped guide me into, you know, the formula and all that kind of stuff. So he took yeah, step by step. You know, he went through, okay, this is what you must do. Be careful because of this. Um, he really helped me big time, you know, um, with that. But I, th I think that 
that process, that way of doing it, it's it, it works. It works for me. It, it, it does. It works for me, you know. Um, and, and rinsing at the end, you don't have to rinse as long. So that's kind of a bonus. But um, the, the way of doing it with the um, citric acid and the hydrogen peroxide, it, you know, it, it is it's good. But the only it's issue, slow. I don't really mind that it's slower. It's just that the hydrogen peroxide, it, it's, it goes fast and um, it seems to be something hard to get now here in Canada. Um, bef- I mean, I, I went to a health food store and I ordered it online. I ordered it and they said, oh, okay, come in a few Nicole, days. You're going to pay through the nose if you go through a health food store. Yeah. Oh, no, but it wasn't even that. They called me back and they said, we can't sell this to you. And I right. said, why? And he said, well, because of the toxicity and, and you know, the strength of it. I'm like, but, you know, I, I put in the order and he said, sorry, we can't. So even trying to find it on other, you know, online somewhere, it seems to be harder to get. OK, that's, OK. That's because people are using it to kill virus with. That's where that went. Well, but but uh, also uh, you can get uh, 40V uh, hydrogen peroxide bleach from any like uh, beauty supply or like particularly like the beauty supply places that supply hair salons um you want to get the crystal clear with stabilizer uh not the cream version <laughs> i had a couple of people <laughs> try and do it with cream and report oh, back <laughs> they had a goopy mess i yeah i was one of those that did not work no <laughs> yeah um hmm. so um you like the dichromate bleach version, which is the version that was in those little photo mats uh, back in the analog photo mat days that I loved and smelled weird. Um, <laughs> are you thinking about shooting some uh, upcoming projects with it? Um, yes, I am. If I can only get out there and, and do it, you know, I do have a few ideas. Um, I don't want to share them, though. I, I don't want to share it. Okay, okay. It's a surprise. <laughs> Listeners, stay tuned to Nicole's YouTube channel. Yeah, but there's actually there's quite a few things that I've been, um, I have a list and I'm going to eventually get through them. But, um, yes, I do want to do a series um, of uh, portraits with it. Um, yeah, that's all I'm going to say. <laughs> okay, and, and um, is... Is it included in the secret uh, that you have been um, interested in the color reversal process? Or, or well, can we that, talk about that? That I'm still trying to figure out. Um, you know, the, the issue is the color filtration. That's, that's the, um, the part that I find is very, very tricky. Yes. Uh, a first batch, which was awful, very bad, but um, I then said, okay, I'm going to just give myself a break, you know, and then I tried to do a second batch and they came out a little bit better, but it's, it's, it's really, really rough. But, you know, I don't know if this would make sense to you, Ethan, because I was thinking, um, if I was to take, like, do, like, do you initially know the color temperature of the paper itself? Is, does the paper itself have a color temperature? Well, so we we talked about this maybe two months ago. Um, I think it is kind of a moving target, right? So every every and I think I mentioned this is every batch of color paper will come with some 
base filtration um, for the batch. Mm-hmm. But but my problem with it is it's it's a moving target, and so I think there's actually like people get super frustrated with me because everybody wants the silver bullet answer. Um, use these filters, right? But mm-hmm. the actual answer is there's a lot of moving factors in this process that requires you to actually do some tests before you get going every single time. And the reason behind that is the developer temperature and age um, will affect the color balance. Also, mm-hmm. it's a nonlinear response to your light. So uh, depending upon you know, I mean, I'm using basically the same color lights every time, although, you know, they get slightly warmer as the tubes get older, but, you know, I don't pop the flashes that much. But, mm-hmm. but um, you know, every time I do it, I expect to shoot two or three images. And I, I start, you know, basically where I left off the last time in terms of filtration, right? But my chemistry has gotten a little older. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could either buy or build a, you know, temperature control bath, or even use like um, a tabletop uh, temperature controlled paper processor. And you could even get really crazy and use like a commercial one that has auto replenishment. But like chemistry ages, um, even within you know a batch, if you're going to process a bunch of things, chemistry oxidizes. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't bother controlling the temperature because. Really, where I want to use the process is outdoors um, in self-developing cameras and like a Polaroid, right? And so, if I have to be, you know, in a in a temperature control process, I need some large, heavy equipment that I really can't just take with me, you know. Yeah. Um, and so, my my answer has been, you know, shoot forty-five terrible pictures, um, get get one good one, record the base filtration, and then every time I start. I'll shoot two or three, you know, uh, just to get it right before I, you know, bother somebody to stand in front of my camera. Because I had this, I had this thought, and the reason why I asked you that is because this is how I was thinking. I was thinking, what if, um, for example, if you were to take, if you were to know, say, let's just say we know the exact temperature of this paper, and let's say we were to take a digital camera and put it at that same um, and then place our filters over it to see how much of that we would yeah. actually like. You you have hit on something, and I think I mean yes, this is this is maybe an iPhone app I should write one of these days. Um, but uh, I think it would only get you so close, right? Because you know when when you buy uh, black and white film or color film, they give you like the tone curves of the, or the sensitivity of each one of the emulsion layers, and usually there's like a red, green, and blue uh, little curve. Um, the sensitivity of each of the color layers is not the same, and the same deal goes for uh, any digital camera sensor. And on top of that, the they're not linear and the curves are different uh, between, you know, between your digital camera and any given film stock. And so, like, yeah, you could write a transformation of the digital camera sensitivity curves onto the any emulsion film or paper sensitivity curves, and you could, you know, write a compensating program for, for uh, you know, any given 
color filter pack, but then still you're going to have like temperature and age of chemistry and paper at play. And so I think it would only get you so close. Mm -hmm. I, I really feel like I have been able to, in two or three shots, get there every time. Um, but still, you know, it might save you one shot <laughs> in the test series. Okay, so Ethan, when you're starting with your filters that you've found in the past work with the paper you use, uh -huh. and you're going to do two or three test shots, can you describe what it actually looks like? In other words... Uh, are you looking at it and saying that needs a bit more red and just going a with a little more of a red or you know, yeah, what are you so, actually doing? Sure. Um, so one, one thing that I want to mention first before I get into this is that um, those tone curves of each of the color layers are really wacky and nonlinear. And so you are never, ever going to have a picture in this process where um, all of the colors are quote unquote correct right? Faithful, uh, high fidelity. Um, if you had like one of those color checkers, that's like, you know, all of the different colors and little squares, um, you could get one or two to match your, um, to match your color checker test chart, but all of the rest are going to be translated off of, of their target colors. Right. And so let's say red was faithful, but blue was not. If you then adjust the blue, now your red is not going to be faithful, you know, if you're filtering the entire image. And there, we could get into engineering solutions that involve big cameras and beam splitters and yada, yada. But let, let's just keep it kind of simple right now. And so, one, um, I do not care about color fidelity. If, if fidelity was my issue, I got a Sony A7, it's good. Um, I got an iPhone, it's good at fidelity. Um, what I am concerned with is you know, the beauty. <laughs> I am concerned with beauty alone, um, or, or just sort of like a pleasing image, right? And so the first thing, and Nick, I, I am getting to your question. <laughs> uh, the first thing that I'm interested in is what is important to me in the photo uh, to be either faithful or pleasing. Generally, what I like to shoot in this process is also portraits. Right. And so the only thing I really care about is skin tones. If your shirt is translated, like if I have a gray, gray shirt and it shows up red and my white background shows up blue, don't care. Makes the in image interesting. It's an artifact of the process. It's part of why I do it. Um, but if, you know, uh, my friend Gerson shows up blue, he looks dead and that's not cool. And I have that picture. I still like that picture, but I wish Gerson was more red. Um, and so what I, you know, it's basically the same as like a Photoshop or a darkroom printing process. Um, I don't know if you've printed color, uh, negatives, but you know, you use a base filtration on a dichroic head or, or in a filter pack, you make a print and, and in the same way I would use a base filtration, I'd shoot a picture, I'd make the print. And then I just look, uh, are the skin tones too blue, too red, too yellow? And then sometimes I do a little cheat, which is look at them through, you know, so I look at the print, let's say Gerson is blue. Um, I want to make it a little bit more yellow. And so then I would uh, take out my pack of rat and gels and look at the print through a bunch of yellow filters. And, you know, looking at the print through filters like a, like a, you know, color printing test filter pack 
is not going to give you one-to-one results, right? If it looks perfect through the filter, it's not necessarily going to look perfect, you know, under the strobe lights uh, after the processing, but it gets you, it's a good proxy and it gets you close. Um, And so, you know, I try and look through enough yellow filters that Gerson looks correct. I put the filters into the camera or in front of the lens. And then I think about, and, and you can use a digital camera or a light meter to figure out or, or even just the data sheet that comes with the Rattan filter to figure out how many stops of exposure you need to add for the additional filtration or subtract for any filters you're removing. Um, and then, you know, it's just repeat that process, you know, two or three times. And I think it's been really, I don't want to say easy because it's time consuming, but it's easy in that it's straightforward to find a pleasing skin tone. Um and yeah, I mean that's that's it. Guess and check. Yeah, <laughs> oldest and engineering trick. And that's just <laughs> and that describes my struggles to render uh, print. You know, the, the, uh, when I scan film, color film, and then try and get it right in Photoshop, that's exactly the same kind of struggle I go through. And no. it's part of what I like about it is that you don't end up with fidelity, perfect fidelity in color. Um, Sometimes sometimes it gets out of control and it looks terrible, but having things a little bit off always makes me happier. Yeah, I agree. And I, I mean, I don't feel this way about engineering. I'd like everything to be perfectly doing what I want it to do. But I think a lot of people who are not engineers uh, think of engineering as like you sit down, you be really smart and then you make a thing correctly. But like every engineer I know knows that they are not that smart, no matter how smart they are. Right. It, there, there's some amount of cleverness, but it's also just getting anything right is like an iterative process. And and you got to get it like any any success mandatorily requires, you know, a whole bunch of like, quote, failures to get there. But, you know, it's just just data points. <laughs> yeah, I think isn't that essentially what calculus is? Targeted, um, targeted failure. <laughs> No, <laughs> uh, I think I think calculus is is pretty exact. Um, but yeah, hey hey Nicole, that that sort of brings me to to another question about your cameras, and and maybe this applies to certainly applies to your. Um, you know, it, clearly, you've been uh, guessing and checking and testing and trying again uh, in your. Uh, processing and, and alternative process work. Um, how about cameras? Like, how often do you build a camera and either build a second camera or uh, tear your first camera apart and rebuild it? Um, what's that process look like for you? Um, oh. uh, the first camera that I built for the cyanotype, actually, in camera cyanotype, I, I did actually start off with a 4x5 in mind. And I built it, and I built it incorrectly. I built it too long. Um, and uh, with the cyanotype process, it, it, it can't be a camera that's that's very long. It has to be have a very short focal length. Um, it's just the way it, 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 it has to go to, because of the emulsion. But um, I did actually build it, and then I had to lengthen. I, I had built it, and then I had to lengthen it. So I lengthened it, and then after I realized it's too long, so then I kind of tore that one up, and then I rebuilt a second one. And yeah, so. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it, it's. Um, 
I like it though. I don't care. I don't mind. You know, I like I like it. And you learn as you go, and you think of different things as you go too. So you know, that's it's, it's a hit or miss sometimes. You know, so yeah. Right. So so the camera has to be short enough for the light to be intense enough. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, Nicole, I'm a huge fan of your YouTube channel. I feel like it is the um, kind of 1980s PBS, very relaxing, um, <laughs> like, kind of matter-of-fact and school teachery. like, this is something we're going to learn today. Like, if Mr. Rogers had um, a segment on alternative process photography, you would be that segment. Um <laughs> I, I'm I'm really into it, um, and on top of that, even better is you're always investigating things that I care about and I'm interested in, and I can't wait for um, more secret alternative process videos when the weather gets better. But <laughs> I, w- I wanted to ask you, how did you get started on YouTube, and and sort of how how have you gotten sucked into that? You're you're a pretty prolific creator, and how does that tie into your photographic work? Um, originally, I started doing videos. Um, of people actually I would do small segments of uh, I call the videos I am and it was um, kind of documenting uh, a person that was willing to do it and I would just film them film them that's really how my YouTube channel started it was not with photography and then it you know I was kind of out there trying to you know know, say hey who would be interested in doing one of these videos with me but it didn't really take too much and so I my, my YouTube channel was really, it was inactive for quite some time. Um, and then um, one day I just said to myself, you know what? I don't really document the things that I do. I don't, I mean, aside from maybe the few photos that I'll put on Facebook about here, this is what I did, or this is what I'm going to do. I said, I don't really have it documented. So I just started to, um, I just one day, you know, went to Oka Beach. It's about a beach that's about uh, two hours away from here. And that was my very first video. And I just said, you know, I'm just going to document what I'm going to do. And it just started like that. There was no real deep thought. It was just, it just happened. And from the first time I did it, I said, I really like it. And then I just kept doing it. And then it just kind of grew and grew and grew to the amount of videos that I have now. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's basically it, really. You know. I I think you should call Tom Hanks about doing that Mr. Rogers episode. I think, <laughs> I think it's fun. You know, it's really fun, too. And um, I think also, you know, to some degree, you know, you, you, you post on Facebook and you post on Instagram and, you know, you, you, you can express and you can explain something. But I think the video is just so much more better at doing that. And I kind of like for people to see um, my journey and when I'm um, focused on something and how I do it or how I go about it, you know, I I really like to share those kind of things. So this is another reason why I started to really uh, take uh, to YouTube because it it, it just, you know, brings so much more to you as an artist, you as a person, and, um, and it's fun, you know, it's fun. 
Yeah. Yeah. There's some things that there's just no better way to explain than to just yes. go. Yeah. Yeah. I I feel like you two. I usually. I mean, when I started uh, Cameradactyl, I really ignored YouTube just because I only had so much personal bandwidth. But um, this year, I've been really thinking about it a lot harder just because it's, you know, it's a great way to hold somebody's attention and, like, teach them something. Whereas in writing, you know, if you have somebody who's really, uh, really wants to figure something out, they'll read your writing. But um, it's, I find it's just, like, much... Much easier for me to cram some information down somebody's throat if I do it in video. Um, and if you have something that you want to describe and you, you're writing a lot, I think people will lo lose interest very quickly now. So, you know, if you have this page and you see this all this writing, it's like, oh, my God, all of that, you know, like. But if you have a video, it's just right there in front of them. So it's it's much more engaging, you know, for the person to actually stay, stick around and watch from beginning to end. Um, yeah, you're I, a different you're a different generation. I can sit and read a book all day long, and uh, I, I don't spend that much time on YouTube. But I understand oh, no, I the mean, power I, of it. Definitely. Uh, yes, I mean, I, I I myself I will read, but sometimes when I post something, and maybe I'm asking a question or maybe something, and then people just like it, and I'm like, well, I don't think they read what I was what I wrote. Like people yeah. don't read. Yeah, they looked at the uh, caption picture. Look at yeah, they just look at the picture and that's it, and they'll flip. You know, and this is the thing. It's like, no, you know, you're supposed to read. You're supposed to read it. So, you know, the video kind of helps with that, I think. You no, know, I think you're I think you're right. And it also lets you do sort of two things at once um, because you can be showing something by doing it and you speak at the same time. I mean, that's yeah. part of the part of the power of speaking is it's a, the original multitasking, you know. Mm -hmm, exactly. Yeah. So, Nicole, you're actually like a pretty prolific writer, right? Like um, you are one of the only people I know in this day and age who has like a written blog, uh, which has a lot of photos on it, which is great. I, I wonder um, how, like, hmm, how can I phrase this? Um, <laughs> I lost track in my questions. Time note, um, have, have you considered... Um, making like photo books or sort of like mix of uh, photo and words books out of out of some of your blog material or um, have you used some of that writing in your YouTube videos or sort of ha how did those interrelate? Um, you know, the only thing I can tell you is that I just write what's on my mind and I just write what I'm feeling. And, it, you know, wherever it so happens to end up, that's where it goes. I, I you know, I don't really um, I don't I don't study too much of anything. I just do it like I think in my head, this is what I want to do and this is what I want to say. And I just it just just comes out. I don't like to program myself too much i want it to be as authentic as possible and that's just how i look at it i just go about it very simply you know and um well it really is working i have to say oh thank you <laughs> I, I don't like it to be too um textbook like you know um i i just I just do whatever it is on my mind and uh and i write how i feel about it or and and that's basically how it just ended up going and going and going because originally when I started this blog it was in 2012 I really didn't know what I was doing I was just 
putting up a photo, a little bit of text, and that was it. I didn't really know how to write, what to write. You know, then you start looking at, okay, people are telling you, well, this is how you write a blog, and this is what you should say, and this is how you can plan your, 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 you know, your blog posts a month in advance. And I just couldn't do it. I just, like, it's not real. It's, it just didn't feel right. And then I just said, you know what, I'm just going to do my own thing. And if today I don't have anything to say, I don't have anything to say. But if I have something next week to say every day that week, then I'm just going to let it rip. And I'm just going to, you know, I'm just going to put it out there. So I just really go as as it's it suits me, as it's suitable for me. And it's just, you know, the reality of it, you know, and that's that's my approach. Nicole, one of the things that we like to do on this show, and we're we're going to do this more and more as we move forward, is acknowledge people in our pasts who have helped us get to where we are. Um, now, usually in a positive way, but it could be in a negative way that still pushes us to a place where we would not otherwise have gotten um, and so uh, who who is it? Is there anybody in your past who you would like to just say thank you for for saying the right thing at the, at the right time for uh, introducing you to something at the right time um, that really is instrumental in who you are today and um, and, and where you are in your life? As a matter of fact, they do. His name is um, uh, Randy Mayer. Um, and uh, it's a funny story because I one day was going to a camera shop that just sold film cameras. And um, later on, he had entered the store. He was talking to the salesperson about large format cameras. So I was like kind of listening in. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Because at the time, it was a time where I wanted to go bigger. And um, I ended up kind of interrupting their conversation and I asked him by any chance if he taught large format and he said he as a matter of fact he does that's kind of how we ended up connecting um and then over time uh we just ended up uh developing a really great relationship and he was the one that taught me a lot of the ins and outs about film how to deal with film how to um um kind of gave me ideas of how to process uh, if I was to, you know, especially in regards to pushing and pulling, because that was one thing that I did not understand. There were times where I shot the film incorrectly and he was able to help me um, uh, figure that out. But most importantly, it was that he pushed me to do my first um, solo exhibit. Um, and if it wasn't for him, I don't think I ever would have gone to that. Uh, depth or that route or even thought of doing it and um, in so many other ways he's helped me a lot in building myself as an artist and also in the direction that I'm in now um, so I have to send him a really huge thank you um, there's a lot of things I don't think I would have been able to have um, 
maybe done or even thought of doing to to get to where I am now. And and I, I thank him big time for that. All right. Um, and what our last uh, question that we always ask uh, all of our guests, is there anything that you would like to talk about that we did not ask you about uh, anything that um, uh, that's exciting to you that we have not asked about? I'm actually looking into making an emulsion for paper and um, oh. emulsion for film. That's one of my big things that uh, is also kind of in the works here. Please tell me you're going to make a YouTube video about this. Oh, oh definitely I will. Oh, can't I wait. Will, for sure. Um, but that's another goal of mine. You know, ever since I started to um, play around with uh, making develop my own developers, it's just I said, well, you know, I can make my own stop. I can make my own fix. Well, what if I thought of making an emulsion for paper? And this is kind of where I'm at in that respect. Um, and uh, film, too, is another thing that I'm looking to try to see if I can actually work that out. I don't know how that'll go, but those are two big main goals that I have um, and that I am actually working on. I'm doing a lot of reading right now, uh, learning a lot about the chemicals, the chemistry. And, um, yeah, so that's 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 kind of the most uh, exciting thing right now that uh, – that's also in the works too. Yeah. That's uh, that's one thing that I've kind of wanted to do myself um, to the point where I bought a thousand feet of 35 millimeter uh, clear leader. Uh, it's perforated and if any and all that. So if you want some, if you want a hundred feet of clear yes. uh, leader for 35 millimeter film, let me know and I'll send it to you um because i'm considerably further away uh from achieving that goal uh than i would like to be but um but it's it's in the back of my head so uh so we're we're i'm excited i'm excited to hear what you discover that's super cool where did you get that where did you buy Um, Oh, I bought it on eBay, um, and I think it cost me, like, and, and it came from Russia, and, like, with shipping, it was 35 bucks, you know, so we're, it, it, it's not a problem at all. Uh, it's out there. Awesome. That's so cool. <laughs> That's so cool. So um, we want to know, uh, how can people get a hold of you? Um uh email uh the web what's your youtube channel all those different types of things okay well um there's my instagram which is where i'm mainly on and that's uh nicole small underscore one-on-one um there's also my um blog or my journal entry uh blog and that's uh nicole small journal entries dot wordpress dot com and I will change that somehow and make it much shorter. As I can see, it's very long. Um, and then I have my YouTube channel. Um, and unfortunately, it's it's a very long URL. So I'm not sure how I would. Um, if you look up Nicole Small one on one, you'll 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 find me. You'll or check the description in the show notes. Yeah, that's it's, right. We've got it in there. Unfortunately, I don't have my name in the YouTube um, Earl, so yeah, um, yeah. I'm able to give the exact Earl. Um, and of course, I'm also on Facebook. 
um, and that's um, one-on-one arts. Um, it's a different name because I had my name, uh, I, I was using a different name before, but I changed it. And of course I can't change it on Facebook. So it's one-on-one arts, uh, all one word. And um, I think that's about it. That's where I'm, that's where you can find me. All right. Nick, how can people get a hold of you? Well, you know, there's the Homemade Camera Podcast Facebook group. I I go there pretty often. And then there's uh, A-V-Y-N-I-C-K is my Instagram, Avi Nick. And that's Nick at HomemadeCamera.com also. Yeah, email, email, right. And Avi Nick at gmail.com is another email that works. I like communicating in uh, by writing back and forth a lot of the time. Um, and so that works well for me. And Ethan, how can people get a hold of you? You can find me at cameradactyl.com, Ethan at cameradactyl.com, or at cameradactyl on Instagram and YouTube. All right. You can get a hold of me, Graham at Homemade Camera. Uh, I'm also Graham Homemade Camera on Instagram. And once, um, uh, just one little thing before we go. Thank you, Nicole, for coming on. Um, uh, it's been it's been great, and um, uh, there, lots of exciting things have come out of this. And I can't wait to go find an ice cube tray. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Nicole. So, thanks, Nicole. That that was inspiring. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm really happy that you guys invited me here today because uh, it, it, it's it's. It's just got me flowing even more now. This is crazy. <laughs> cool. Cool. And uh, we want to give also a little um, uh, congratulations to the Sunny 16 podcast. Um, they are just about to have their 200th episode. So we want to say uh, congratulations to them. And uh, this will probably air after um, their uh, their episode. But congratulations on 200 episodes. Uh, we also want to say thanks to Robbie Cribs from Soundtrap Studios. He's the one who has uh, composed our music and allows us to use it for each episode. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Robbie. Thank you. <laughs>